Hello, everyone. This is Jeffrey Wells with the Brother Cousins Podcast, and I just want to say thank you so much for joining us again this week. I get the pleasure of introducing a new topic and a very special person in my life, my wife, Hannah Wells. As we talked about last episode, this month in the month of May, what we're going to do is talk about our wives, talk to our wives, make this month about the women in our lives who have formed us, who have helped us grow spiritually. And you can kind of peer into the backgrounds of the brother cousins and see who it is that has to endure us and who is able to help us. We're really excited about this month, getting to hear some of the perspectives from some of the women in the church. And we pray that it'll be encouraging to all of our listeners. Hannah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. <laughs> so I, I will preface this and say that I gave Hannah a few of the questions that I'm going to ask her. And one of the questions that I'm going to ask her, I have not shared with her. So Hannah, why don't we begin by having you tell everyone why it is that you love me so much? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the so many ways, my dear. So many ways. I don't think the podcast is long enough for that. That was the answer I was hoping for. <laughs> uh, we have a habit of going very long. And so I just thought we could spend the next hour and a half talking about that subject. I don't think that's wise. Okay, well, we'll move on then. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, my name is Hannah. I've been married to Jeffrey for almost 10 years. I stay at home. My main job is to raise my two girls. Joanna is four and Charlie is two. And also being Jeffrey's sidekick, doing whatever he's doing. And I grew up in Claremore, Oklahoma, which is up by Tulsa. Um, yeah, that's about it. I mean, only other thing is uh, my 10-year baptism anniversary was last August. So that was kind of cool. I'm in the double digits now. There you go. You're, you're almost into your teen years I know. <laughs> as a teenager in Christ. So you mentioned that you stay at home um, and that you, your main job is to help raise our girls. That's a decision that, that we talked about, but you really were the one who, who took the lead on that decision-making process. Why don't you tell us about kind of some of the reasons that you wanted to, to do that and you thought that that was going to be a valuable asset for our family? My mom got to stay home when we were little and it was really beneficial for our family. And, um, I don't know, it was just something that, that I always knew that I wanted to do, that I wanted to be home with our children, however many children we decided to have. And, um, I, I guess I just didn't see any other option unless we absolutely needed me to work, then I would have made that sacrifice. But if we could swing it, and I definitely wanted to be home. Um, yeah, I guess I just didn't really think of any other options. I know that that can be a difficult decision. Um, I'm, I know I work with, with several ladies who say, you know, they couldn't imagine staying at home. Um, I know personally, I like the idea of staying at home with our girls. However, this weekend while you were at the retreat and I was left at home to take care of the girls and try to make sure that they could survive, I realized that I am not meant for that stay-at-home life. <laughs> um, our girls would not survive for very long if it was just left up to me. And so I want to say that I appreciate what you do and I value what you do. And I, I just want to thank you for that. Thanks. Now, I mentioned that retreat. You were able to go to a Church of Christ women's retreat this weekend, which um, I think this is the third year that fifth you year. fifth year that you've gone. It is the fifth year for the retreat. This is the second year that I have gone. Okay. So this year you were involved in the theme planning. You were actually one of the presenters there. But before we get into those topics, why don't we first just hear a little bit more about this retreat? What's the purpose of it? How did it go this year? Give us some feedback there. So the retreat uh, was created and is run by Charity Cheney, and she saw a void um, in our women's fellowship that we need a Titus II relationship where the older women teach the younger women, but the only time we were really seeing each other was at the brotherhood meeting or at funerals, and you don't have time to build deep relationships in those, those circumstances. So 
the purpose of the retreat was for women to get together without children, without distractions, so that we could build those relationship between generations, between congregation that are, you know, hours and hours apart. Um, and that's, that was her reason um, and really her heart and her intention. And it kind of grew to where some people were like, well, we want to study the Bible. So um, there are studies held each year. And so this year, Emily Springer, Laura Adair, and I presented, um, and we presented on womanhood, marriage, and motherhood. And um, it went so well. The We went to a, a big campsite and the food was great. And we got to laugh and play games and do crafts and study the Bible. And there are many relationships that without the retreat, I wouldn't have. And um, we actually had a big group of, of teenage girls um, between 13 and 16 years old. So that was really great to see these young women being here studying. Um, and yeah, it just, it was a, it was a great time. I, I was really edified by it for sure. That's great to hear. I'm going to push pause on what we're talking about for just a second. And Rewind it back to some of the topics that we've covered, especially in the last month. You know, last month in the month of April, the Brother Cousins explored different avenues of bridging generational gaps. And we talked to several different age groups there. And we brought up a lot this idea of Titus 2 and how the older generation should be teaching the younger generations. Um, and that is a good way to bridge some of these generational gaps. And it sounds like that that is one of the goals of this retreat is so that these teenage girls can interact with people within their 40s and the people within their 40s can interact with people in their 60s and, and so on. And really taking those steps to be able to form those relationships and show that love and build so that we don't end up having a group of women who don't know how to love their husbands, who don't know how to raise their kids, all the things that Titus 2 talks about that the older ladies are supposed to be teaching the younger ladies. So falls really well in line with some of the things that we covered this past month, and I'm glad that it sounds like it went well. So you said Emily Springer, Laura Adair, and yourself were the three key presenters at this. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your topic in particular? So my presentation was titled Biblical Womanhood in 2022. And um, really my intention was to help women appreciate their role that God gave them in the church. And I wanted them to look at submission through the eyes of God instead of through the eyes of the world, that the role you were given is not a shackle. It's not a cage. It's an opportunity to be like Christ. Um, and it's a blessing. And um, we talked about um, how we can be submissive in, and it starts in our hearts and that flows into actions. It flows into um, our words. And um, I think I, I uh, communicated that intention. Um, there were several ladies that told me that they had never thought about submission that way, that it's an opportunity and, and not a ball and chain. So that was really my intention. And we looked at some women in the, the New Testament, Phoebe and Tabitha specifically about how um, they, they serve the kingdom and they, they changed the church forever. And they'll be remembered forever in scripture um, because they said, yes, Lord, I will serve you. And that was kind of my driving point was say, yes, Lord. I went through the notes with you. You know, we prepared for this together. That was one of the things that we did as a married couple to, to make sure that truth is, is going on at, at this conference. And I know that the other ladies that presented did the same thing with their husbands. Um, one of the things that was really intriguing to me about your notes was this idea about true biblical submission. It's what you just said is that a lot of times ladies look at their role that they've been given in the church and some of these commands that revolve around submitting themselves and they see them as shackles. And I know one verse that you pointed to specifically was 1 Corinthians 14 verse 34 that we generally start here. 
that women should keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. And a lot of the times we start there, people start there and they look at that verse in a way that they automatically feel handcuffed, that they can't really do what it is that they want to do. And they feel as though their role has been devalued and that their opportunities have been taken away from them. So why don't you go a little bit into some of your thought process about how you feel being submissive is something that should be valued, something that should be appreciated, and that you as a woman have a unique opportunity to do that. The, the theme verse for the retreat was, or is Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And, you know, we don't have time to go over all the verses that talk about submission and denial. Um, so why are we instructed over and over and over again to deny ourselves? Because Christ was submissive to the Father and we are to be like Christ. So not even as a woman, just as a Christian, you need to value submission because God values it. First Peter verse, or chapter three, verse three through six, it tells us that a gentle and quiet spirit is very precious in God's eyes. And that needs to be precious in our eyes as well. So that for us as women, we have different opportunities than men to submit. Now, men do have to submit to, to their leadership, to Christ, to other Christians. But as women, we have more opportunities, I think. And so that's just more opportunities to be like Christ. That's more opportunities to show the world what real submission is and that it does give us value. Um, the world tells us that your role is your value, but that would make women who don't lead publicly, who don't teach publicly, that we are worthless. And that's, that's not true when you look at it through the eyes of God. And so we talked about, we actually, I put some, some social media posts on my PowerPoint and we walked through them and we talked about lies and manipulation that Satan uses through social media and how a lot of it is Satan wants us to hate what God loves. And that includes submission. And that just speaks to our pride as women that, you know, I'm just as good as any man and I can do what I want. When in reality, that is, that is rebellion and that will lead you not to a place of value and fulfillment, but to a place uh, where, you, where you rebel against God and eventually you, you would leave the church if you followed that path. You know, I think you're, you're onto something and I agree that number one, this submissive attitude is a key tenet of Christianity. Obviously, you mentioned that passage in Matthew chapter 16, that we all are supposed to deny ourselves and pick up our cross. You know, I think about the passage in Philippians chapter 2, where it says, have this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equal he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that it, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, I think about that concept of Jesus here. It, what it's talking about is he's submitting himself to the Father. You know, we read some of the Old Testament prophecies that says that it pleased God to bruise him. And it's because Jesus coming and dying was a part of God's ultimate plan of salvation. But Jesus had to submit to God for that to happen. You know, Peter talks about how it was foreordained before the foundation of the world that the servant of the Lord would come and he would give his life. And that was going to be God's plan of salvation. You know, my dad has asked me to do a lot of things, but he's never asked me to die for someone else. But that's what 
Jesus was asked to do by God. And so by submitting himself, he showed himself as submissive to the Father, thy will be done. And he was glorified for that reason. He was given a name above all names. And so if we are to have that type of mindset in our life, then it's going to have to have a submissive type attitude. And so I really like the idea that you're talking to there. And then the other aspect here is the lies that the world tells us. You know, Satan has used similar tactics throughout history. I think you talked about this in your presentation, how at the very beginning in the garden, that the lie that he told Eve was a very subtle lie, and it was wrapped in just enough truth that she wanted to believe it. And it was that thou shalt not surely die, rather than what God had said was thou shalt surely die. And now he may not use a talking snake to convince us of these lies. Now he uses social media posts where there's just enough truth in it that it sounds believable, but it's still ultimately a lie. And I think that this idea of being submissive has been completely turned around and they've stolen the true meaning of submission from what God expects and therefore has taken away the value that God places on submission. Agreed. <laughs> and I, I just told the ladies, I mean, I was like, guys, if you don't value submission, you'll never mature to be like Christ. And not just, just as a woman, as a Christian, you have to value it. It has to be precious to you um, or you'll never be perfected like Christ. And that was really my main point was you've, you've got to look at it the way God looks at it because the world's going to tell you that you're a doormat and you're being run over and you're a slave. And I know, I know in some parts, I know in some places that scripture has been used to control and manipulate women. Um, but we're talking about where your heart is at and who's sitting on the throne of your heart was a phrase that I use. Cause it just makes so much sense to me that if someone is ruling there, they rule over everything, not just some things. And, um, so we, we did look at some stuff from social media. Um, we talked about some discernment on how we can interact with the world and, um, how we can kind of chew up this stuff and, and spit it back out if it's bad or swallow if it's good. Um, and then we talked about, um, where we can apply Christ's rule in our hearts and, um, and what that looks like. That's kind of the practical application of that. So you mentioned this chew and spit methodology. So number one, where'd you get this? Number two, what does it mean? So chew and spit is a method of discernment, and it is from a book called Mama Bear Apologetics by Hillary Morgan Ferrer. And it's aimed at mothers with children. Um, however, I think it would be useful for any Christian um, she does a great job of explaining how to discern, why it's important to discern. Um, she, she explains that, you know, most lies are kind of wrapped in partial truths. So you really have to be able to pick things apart and compare it to scripture. Um, now, of course, I don't agree with everything she says, but she pulls apart a lot of what's happening in our culture and it's incredibly useful um, for anyone who interacts with our culture to be able to pull it apart, movies, music, social media, what our kids are being taught, um, common, new common thought processes like humanism um, that's getting really, really popular. Um, how you can pull that apart and say, you know what, this sounded really good, but in reality, this is, this is trash. <laughs> um, so uh, we used some of that for our practical application. After lunch, we split up into groups and we all went through some different social media posts um, about all, just all kinds of random things. Um, and we just kind of chewed them up and we talked about, you know, where the lies were, where the truth were. And some of them were all lies. Some of them were all truth and some were a mix. Most of them were a mix. And I mean, everything outside the Bible is going to be a mix. You just got to figure out how much of it is good and how much of it is bad. 
So what you're talking about, it sounds like, is the ability to discern. Yes. Um, and really being able to break down some of these statements where they may have some partial truths and be able to recognize that as a truth, but just because it's paired with this other stuff, this other stuff could still be a lie. Um, that type of discernment is extremely important for a Christian, for our maturity, for our well-being, and it takes a lot of practice. And so it sounds like that's what you wanted some of these ladies to do together is to practice these things together, because it's it's a lot easier to do that in a setting when you have several other Christian ladies around you. Where that gets really hard is whenever you're sitting in front of your phone and you have the decision to like or to share before ever really even thinking this through. Mm-hmm. And that's what chew and spit takes. It takes a lot of thinking. It takes uh, some Bible literacy. You got to know your scripture. And sometimes it takes help. Um, and, but it is really important. We can't just mindlessly swallow everything our culture pumps out because I mean, it'll poison us. It'll kill you. Um, so that was something that we practiced together and it gave, I, I hope it gave them the confidence and some tools that when they get home, uh, and they go about their day, you know, on Monday, um, that they'll be able to, to start chewing and spitting and teaching it to their kids or their, you know, their other brothers and sisters and, um, just kind of build that like a muscle, you know, and you should be able to, to discern more quickly and more effectively as, as you practice it. It goes back to that idea of by reason of use, uh, mm-hmm. that's the whole discernment principle. So I'm going to circle back to something since we're, we're talking about some of the, the lies that the world manipulates us to believe. And I'm going to come back to that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 14, talking about the role of women specifically in the public assembly. And, and I'm going to try to frame this in a way that, that people understand. You know, I know some of our listeners may not be very familiar with the Church of Christ and some of our procedures revolving around the assembly. So just to allow people to kind of catch up on that, um, women are not allowed to speak publicly like from a preacher standpoint behind the pulpit. And the reason that is, is because of some of the passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 34. And some of the things I've seen in the church just over the course of, of the work that I've done is that there are a lot of young ladies who will believe this messaging from the world that because they can't get up in a pulpit and preach publicly that that all of a sudden makes them useless and invaluable to the church or not invaluable, have no value in the church. And the path I've seen several young ladies go down is bitterness and resentment. Um, There's a lot of role envy that goes on and that can actually take them down a path where they rebel against some of the biblical teachings in this area and they are searching for something. And so why don't you talk a little bit about why you believe that this submissive attitude, where you get your value from, um, and why you don't believe that this passage in 1 Corinthians 14 is a shackle, but rather it's an opportunity. So starting with our value as women, I mean, we're taught in Genesis that men and women were created in God's image. I mean, that right there is an infinite amount of value. And then we know that Christ died for all. I mean, we were worth the suffering of the cross. And I mean, the love and mercy present in those two acts alone is just incredible. And that forces you to take your mind from the temporary here on earth to the eternal that we won't always have a submissive role. And even if we do, it doesn't matter because the creator of the universe decided that he loved us enough to one, make sure he had a plan when we messed up and two, to create us like him. And that perspective switching from the world to eternity is incredibly important because the world is going to tell you completely different. 
that what you do is where your worth is at. And I also want to say that the worship assembly is not the only part of a Christian life. I'm not saying it's not important because the, the worship assembly is important. It absolutely is. But it's not the only part of a Christian life. I mean, if we average three hours a week in an assembly, we have 168 hours in a week. That's 2%. I mean, that's you've got 98% of your week to devote to Christ. That's 165 hours. Um, so, I mean, we have a lot to do and we have a lot of time to do it. And if we read through the scriptures, Titus 2 says that older women are to teach and that's not assembly teaching, but they are to teach and to train. You teach the children in your life, like Eunice and Lois taught Timothy. Um, and then we're to go and make disciples of all nations. I mean, that commission is not limited to men. And I'm just going to let everyone know three hours a week in an assembly is not enough to make a disciple. It takes time. It takes studying. It takes sharing meals. It takes building relationships. And that's all things women can do. You know, it's just, there's a lot of work to do. And let's say you have a talent for speaking. You can use that outside the assembly. You can teach other people, but when you, sub when you submit in the assembly and you know you're a good speaker and you submit and you do it happily, you're being like Christ. And like I said, it's not a shackle, it's an opportunity. And you can sit there and think, you know, this is me being like Christ. I'm maturing to perfection. And that's something that, that the world does not want you to know or to hear because then you would feel fulfilled and valuable in the role that God's given you. And Satan absolutely doesn't want that. Yeah. And what you're talking about, um, you know, some of the rationale behind why women can't speak in the assembly. What Paul says is it goes back all the way to the beginning to, to Genesis where um, he specifically says that Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And he's talking about when that serpent made Eve believe this lie through this subtle manipulation, and that that set a course of history that no longer did God want women to be in that type of a role. And so he just gave men and women different roles, and it's been that way since the garden. And in 2022, you know, there are some men who have been given the role to teach in the assembly. Uh, there are women do not have that role. Now, within the confines of 1 Corinthians 14, we also see other people are given limitations in their role as well. But a lot of the times we focus in on that, that part of women not being able. And I think it, again, goes back to the way that the world wants us to believe and what the way they want us to think about certain things. I'm glad that you mentioned this breakdown of percentage of time because you're right. The assembly is 2% of our week. 98% um, of it is doing something else. And you gave us a few practical examples of things that could be done if you're interested in teaching outside of the assembly that could bring glory to God and bring, you know, furtherance of the gospel so that his kingdom can flourish. Um, I just want to say, number one, I agree with you. Number two, that if as much as submission is a part of Christianity, if we think that the assembly is what Christianity is, then we're missing the point. The assembly was designed to encourage people, to edify people, to uh, provide an opportunity, let their guard down very similar to the city of refuge in the Old Testament. But there is so much more to the Christian life. And, and you know I love the assembly. You know I believe it's important. But there's so much more. And there's so many, so many more opportunities to teach and to serve and to show love to people. And so... If you were to sit down and have a discussion with a young lady who is struggling with the role that God has given her and the submission that is supposed to be shown towards church leadership, towards her husband, what advice would you give her? I would 
first, I think it would be helpful for her to talk about why she believes submission is a bad thing. Now, she may not outright say that, but her actions and her attitude say otherwise. So what lies have you swallowed that have led you to believe that submission is beneath you is, is something that's bad. I mean, if you watch any Disney movie, <laughs> we've been learning that since we could watch TV. So uh, we would probably do some probing questions, soul searching, if you want to call them, um, of, you know, where does she get her value? Does she get it from other people? Does she get it from the, the work, the, her to-do list? Um, or does she get it from God? You know, we would just ask those questions. I would ask, you know, where are you spending a lot of your time? And then we would talk about her value and how valuable she is to Christ. And we would study how Christ specifically submitted. And, you know, he didn't submit to just anyone or for any reason. He submitted, he submitted to the Father and to his will. And if our goal is to be like Christ, then we would look over, you now what does that look like in her life? And just change her perspective from the world's view to God's view. And then just give her that percentage breakdown. And I've got a whole list of works and non-assembly teaching um, of things she could be, she could be doing. And just explain to her that you can have talents and you can have a strong personality and you can still use it in a submissive way. You can take those things and instead of glorifying yourself, you glorify God in his church. Um, so if you do have a talent for public speaking, let's find some non-assembly teaching that you can do and use that talent to grow the church, to disciple people. Or if you have a talent for singing, no, you can't get up and lead songs, but we can help other people outside the assembly learn music um, and edify them in that way. Um, I mean, whatever talents you have or whatever kind of personality you may have, you can always employ that to the work of God and his church. And I think that's, that's a big part of being submissive is taking what you have and giving it to God and saying, yes, Lord, what else can I do for you today? So that, that's probably where we would start. And sometimes picking apart the lies you've swallowed is really difficult. When I was putting this presentation together and studying this, I realized that a lot of my struggles as an early Christian, especially the first two years of our marriage, this thought process of submission is, is bad really was ingrained in me, even though I didn't say it out loud, my actions and just, just the fights we, I remember us having was because I didn't value submission. And I thought I did, it was on a very superficial level, but I had to, it was like ripping weeds out of a garden. I mean, I had to dig up these roots and I had to go way back. And um, now I see it everywhere. And it's no wonder that it was ingrained in me because it is everywhere, but it really took a long time. And I'm, I'm still doing it constantly asking God to reveal these weeds and all these lies I've swallowed, but it's worth it because now I'm, I'm that much closer to being like Christ. So that's probably where we'd start is pulling up the weeds. Well, that's good advice. And I do know that there are some some young ladies that listen to this podcast, um, I've had some discussions with them, and I hope that if they are, are struggling with valuing their role that God has given them and, and seeing the value of submission and how that can help us be more like Jesus, um, that they take that to heart. You know, that's, that's something that all Christians are commanded to submit to somebody, you know, whether it is me submitting to my elders um, if it is me submitting to somebody else, and it goes back to that Philippians 2 mentality of let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, and, and that was a submissive mindset that, that valued the role that, and the work that God has given you to do, and you do it as unto the Lord, and 
you do it to bring glory to his name and, and not to ourselves. You know, one other aspect of your presentation that we haven't really talked about is this idea of self-care. You know, that's been a very popular subject in the last few years, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. There's been a lot of discussion about mental health and the importance of self-care. And I know that your t-shirts, the overall theme of the weekend was that soul care is greater than self-care. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you found whenever you dug into the biblical teaching of self-care and give us some practical application of how we can self-care in a way that is in alignment with the way God wants that done. Like you said, the t-shirt said soul care is greater than self-care. And really what we meant by that was that you do need soul, you do need self-care. Like if you don't eat or sleep, you are not, you eventually will not be able to take care of anyone. That's, that's not a lie, but like everything else in our life, it must be used in a way that glorifies God. Um, Self-care becomes sinful when it becomes self-worship. And that is the lie that we need to spit out. Um, So when I was trying to figure out what does it look like to glorify God with self-care, I looked at Jesus And um, there's maybe five or six uh, scriptures on my PowerPoint slide. Of course, I don't have them in front of me, but he would go off by himself to pray. And his Christ self-care was reuniting himself with the Father through prayer and aligning his will with God's will. Um, You'll also notice that Jesus didn't place his self-care over the care of others. Many instances, Jesus is trying to go off and pray and all these needy people are following him um, and they want to be fed or taught or whatever. And so he takes care of their needs and then he still goes back and prays by himself. And I guess the reason that I felt strongly about this was because last year I was formally diagnosed with anxiety and depression and it re- it forced me to improve my self-care and turn it into soul care, which I think is what Jesus really was practicing with soul care. And I mean, my mental health got to a point where no amount of bubble baths or yoga or shopping was going to fix it. Like I really had to do something different. And I really, I firmly made up my mind that I was not going to let Satan hijack this journey back to a healthy mental place. I was not going to worship myself. Now, you know, I forget and I put my self-care too high on the priority list and I have to be reminded to go back to God and back to soul care. So for example, like my self-care is anything that's quiet or alone. You know, my daughters are two and four. So anything like that could be self-care. And I can turn it into soul care when I use quiet or alone time to spend time with the father. Now, it, it self-care doesn't have to be alone. That's just the season of life I'm in. It could be different for everyone. But everyone can turn their self-care into soul care. Um, so what I asked the ladies, I asked them to think about how you currently practice self-care. Is it an activity that brings you close to God? Or does it lead you to be sinful? Now, if it's a sinful kind of self-care, you've got to nix it. Like there's just, there's no getting around that. But maybe it's kind of neutral. Like it's not a sinful thing, but it doesn't really bring you closer to God. Um, So how could you change that? So while you're taking your bubble bath, listen to the Bible, listen to worship music, um, meditate or pray while you garden. If you absolutely love scrolling through social media, follow only the people that point you back to God or make posts that teach biblical truth and get some more biblical truth out on social media. I mean, really, it's just another way of surrendering a piece of your heart to the Lord so he can fully care for you and that he can fully rule over you. And so that's kind of where we went with self-care was that, yeah, it's necessary, but you don't need to worship yourself and you can glorify God through the way you take care of yourself. So it sounds like 
this is going to make full circle in our conversation that self-care and being in biblical alignment is really about who sits on the throne of your heart. Yes. And it's obvious through your actions, your thoughts, your attitude, your words, who's ruling there. That as women of God, it needs, we need to be full of good works. We need to be, it needs to be obvious to everyone who sits on the throne of our heart and not just women, men too, because our light is supposed to shine. You know, I'm reminded of a discussion that Jared Christopher and I had uh, a couple of months ago, I guess, about the prophet Elijah. And, you know, he also, after some miraculous things that happened in his life with the prophets of Baal and that, that showdown, you know, he also took some solace in alone time, but he went there in a sort of pity party type mentality. Um, so just because you're alone doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have good thought processes that are going to guide you back to God. It, it can actually, you know, lead to some self-talk that is just affirming this pity that you're having on yourself about how Charlie is a monster. And, <laughs> you know, I can't remember the craziest thing that she did the other day. She was on her shoe, you know, acts as a Disney villain, whatever it is that she's doing that day with her evil laugh. Um, you know, you can go sit in the shower and cry because our kids have been crazy all day, which I've done, which she's done. <laughs> um, and just kind of have this pity party and, and all of a sudden it's everyone else's fault, but your own about the, the type of day that you had. Um, but what you're saying is that the correct perspective is to do things that puts God on the throne of your heart and establishes him there. And using whatever time, whether it's alone time or time with other Christians to reaffirm that throne of God. Um, really appreciate that discussion just because it's such a, a very popular topic right now. And there are definitely some, some ways that we can think that we are providing self-care for ourselves that are actually very detrimental to us spiritually. And so I appreciate the practical aspect of this. Now, as we kind of wrap up some of our thought process, is there anything else that you want to share with some of our listeners? Something that was kind of overwhelming for me at first when I was putting together this presentation was that women of God are, are to be busy with good works. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm already busy. Like, how am I going to shove one more thing on my plate? And um, what an... I'm going to give credit to God for this because I, I I'm not smart enough to come up with this on my own, but um, it doesn't have to be extravagant. You can jump on board with someone else who's already doing the work and get involved. You can make it simple. My girls are constantly coloring and making art and I'm throwing it away left and right. And I can take five minutes, write a note and put it in an envelope and send it to people who are having birthdays, people who are in the hospital, um, people who are just needing encouragement. And I didn't have to load the girls up or find a babysitter or do anything extravagant. That's something that took me five minutes. Um, and then if you just listen to people, you'll find ways to serve them. Um, you know, when you're talking with them, Sunday morning before the assembly and you ask them, Hey, how are you doing? And they say, Oh, you know, not good. I, I fell in the shower and I, I couldn't mow the lawn. I'm just so sore. Now you may not be able to go mow his lawn, but you could find a young man to go mow his lawn, or you can get a sign up sheet and have people sign up to mow his lawn all summer. And that didn't take any extra, didn't take away any of your evenings or anything like that, but you still were able to serve and work. You can write cards to people who are shut in or bereaving. But anyway, um, you know, if you just listen, people will tell you what their needs are and what they're struggling with. Um, and 1 Timothy 5 verses 9 through 10 talks about a widow being supported by the church. But Paul says that she needs to have a reputation for good works. And I think that that is something that is important, that it's consistent that through our life, it shows who's ruling in our hearts and it's obvious who's there. Um, 
again in first Timothy chapter two, women who profess godliness need to be adorned with good works. And that just shows where your heart's at. It's not a, oh, I need more credit. I need to be good enough today. It's, I love Christ and his church. What can I do? Letting our works point people back to the father. And as a young mom, I'm, that just really weighed heavy on me. That I was like, I, I don't know if I can do any good works, but I can. Um, there are things that I can do in this season of life besides my ministry of being a mom um, the ways that I can, I can serve the church in this busy season, but sometimes you just have to be creative and every community, every congregation is different. Um, so be creative, ask people for their ideas, what they're doing in their congregation, um, and just, you know, get some things rolling. So I'm glad you brought up that passage in first Timothy five, um, I'm going to read that real quick. Verse nine, it says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So number one, there's a lot on that list. Um, number two, it points to what you said, this consistency aspect. And I don't want this to be like some morbid conversation. Um, however, you know, the path that I currently see you on right now is that you are living this life and building this reputation of good works, you know, being hospitable, bringing up children. And just statistically speaking, it is very likely that one day I will die and I will leave you a widow. And yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I have confidence that you're going to have this reputation of good works. And, you know, I, from our conversation, I hope that it's pretty obvious to our listeners that Hannah is one of the biggest reasons why I'm involved in the work of the church. Uh, the way that I've grown over the last 10 years since we've been married, a lot of it points back to her. And I want to say, number one, that I appreciate her. Um, I love her ability to point me in the right direction and, and help me grow spiritually. And it's just a testament to how valuable a wife can be. And, and I think about that picture from Proverbs 31 is um, you truly are a, a pile of rubies and, and your, your worth is, is much beyond that. And this isn't just flattery, but one thing I, I want to point out to husbands is to value your wife to cherish your wife. You know, you think back about the, the vows that you probably made whenever you got married that you said that you were going to cherish her. And, you know, it, it's one thing to cherish her, you know, whenever you're getting to, to do the things that you want to do. But what does that look like in your everyday life? You know, are you putting so much emphasis on your pulpit preaching that you are not supporting and valuing the work that, that she is doing? Um, in being hospitable or raising the kids or taking teaching opportunities privately, I think your attitude can really set the course of the trajectory that your wife is on and whether or not she feels valued. And so I would encourage you to take a look at the way that you spend your time, take a look at your attitude and see if you're valuing your wife's role and your wife's work the way that God does. And if not, you need to shift your perspective because I know I've been placed in that position multiple times over the last 10 years. One other thing that I want to be very clear about, I did not pay Hannah to say any of these things. <laughs> um, the, these were her thoughts. Um, these are the things that she's put together. And I believe it shows a lot of the maturity that she has gained over the last 10 years. And um, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and discuss these things, expound some wisdom to, to me and some of our listeners and just appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you. You deserve some credit as well. Some of this is, is your work too. So we're, we're joint heirs. We, we work together <laughs> we on this and it was a pleasure. And that's the other thing that I would encourage you to do is if you don't make a, a habit of studying things out with your spouse, 
take some time, you know, pick a subject and study it out together. And I think you'll see some value in that. As we wrap up this session, again, we want to say thank you so much for being involved, um, listening, taking the time out of your schedule. We're really excited about this month. Over the next couple of weeks, Jared is going to sit down with Rachel. Christopher is going to sit down with Laura. And then we're also going to have a guest speaker near the end of the month. And I'm going to save that one to be a surprise later on down the road. As we wrap up, as we've been doing here lately, I'd like to say a prayer together. And Hannah, would you say a prayer? Sure. Our dearest Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for our listeners. Thank you for, um, for your word and just its power. Thank you for the way you have set up your church and how when we follow your word, it works perfectly. Thank you for Christ's example that we know how to be submissive, that we know how to love and serve perfectly. Lord, be with us as we try to be like Christ. Help us to be better disciples to those below us. Help us to be better learners to those that are older than us. Um, help us to continue your church into generations and places that it's not currently. Thank you again for this opportunity to teach others about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Hannah. And again, if you want to be like Christ, learn to submit and to value submission. Have a good week.